0: Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. Well, I'm home. I just got back from the lower Rio Grande Valley, where I spent a month. uh, Part of the time alone, part of the time with a group of friends, part of the time with a big group of friends. So I had a great trip. Uh, Really, really enjoyed that area. It's a special area in the ABA, right down near Mexico, where a few species migrate up across the border, or wander, better term, wander across the border. Uh, In order to be counted on our ABA checklist, the American Birding Association, our ABA area, is really the United States and Canada, including Alaska, and now including Hawaii, along with a few islands just barely off the coast, Uh, but pretty much the United States and Canada. And so uh, birds that are generally found in Mexico sometimes barely make it up into the United States, oftentimes in Arizona or in the Laurier Grande Valley of Texas, where I spent a month So the valley is a really cool place. I knew I liked it. i have been there a couple of times before, and I just had been wanting to get away from the dreary rain of the Puget Sound for a while this winter and thought, what better place to go than McAllen, Texas? McAllen is nicely situated to get to pretty much all the birding areas of the lower Rio Grande Valley. So I got an Airbnb in McAllen for a month, a lot cheaper to get an Airbnb by the month than it is by the day or the week. So I decided to stay exactly a month and split the trip up into really three parts. First, I went down, kind of got settled for a day. While I was there, and that first day out, I got the forktail flycatcher. Forktail flycatchers are a bird that are hard to see in the ABA, uh, it ABA area. It's uh, a bird that shows up pretty, has a big high, what we call pattern of vagrancy. It shows up all over the place, but often doesn't stick around very long. A day or two is pretty common, and then it just goes off somewhere else, and you can't find it. This bird had stuck around for several days. I'd been hoping it would wait till I got there, and it did. So I got it the first day there. I talked about that a little on an earlier episode. And then the next night, uh, Ken and Bruce showed up. Ken Brown my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast episode number two, and Bruce Labar, my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast episode number three, showed up the next day, and we spent several days birding. You can hear a general summary of that on episode number 47, where Bruce, Ken, and I sit down and talk after the end of our birding escapade and talk about the trip. It was a terrific time, birding. We had just a real blast. Those guys are so much fun to bird with, good friends, and really good birders. And we saw a lot of stuff. We had a great trip. Got them the forktail flycatcher. Everybody got on hook. build kite. It's a really special bird. We all got quick looks at group built ani. Another life bird for me. I got two life birds off of the ABA area on this trip. So that was pretty cool. So after that, I spent about 10 days birding, sometimes by myself and sometimes with my girlfriend, Marion, who was there and then had to go home for a family emergency and then got to come back. Uh, And then I had nine other birders from Tacoma, or the Tacoma area, Puget Sound area, fly down to meet me my first real try at leading a birding trip outside the area where I'm most comfortable, the Puget Sound and the Pacific Northwest, and certainly the first time I'd led a trip for more than a couple of days. So I was a little nervous about how that would go, and it went just fine. I was really happy. Uh, I felt like Everybody had a good time. Everybody saw a lot of new birds, a lot of life birds for just about everybody on the trip. And the trip went really well. So I thought I'd spend this episode talking about that trip. Uh, basically, uh, everybody flew down to the McAllen Airport, which is really easy. It's you know, right in the town of McAllen, about two miles from where everybody was staying in a hotel and about two miles from my Airbnb. So that worked out great. Everybody showed up seven of the birders showed up a day early. Uh, there was forecast of severe weather in Dallas where the connecting flight was going to go through, and so the airline contacted everybody and urged them to reschedule, and so they rescheduled a the day earlier. And so I had a bonus day on February 5th where seven of the birders showed up, and we got to go out uh, birding as a group of uh, nine instead of the group of 11 that would be uh, starting the next day. We decided what to do with that bonus day. Well, a red-billed pigeon, or actually 13 red-billed pigeons, had showed up at Chapino, an area about an hour and a half west of McAllen, the afternoon before, and I thought, what better thing to do with a bonus day than chase a great ABA bird? Red-billed pigeons are common in Mexico and throughout good patches of uh, Latin America, Uh, but they're not common at all in the ABA area. It used to be they were a little more common, I think, but lately, not many. They just uh, fly across the river to perch. I'm told sometimes in the morning to catch the morning sun in the trees, but there wasn't a lot of sun the days we were there. It was pretty cold. Uh, so we got out there that day, and it was really cold. Uh, it was, nobody was dressed for it. Uh, the weather report didn't look that bad, but it was 40s in the morning, 50s in the afternoon with a pretty good wind. So we went to Chapinio first, tried to get the, the pigeon, no luck, and, and went into the El Rio Uh Uh, trailer park or mobile home park there it's uh, for sale it's really in rough shape Uh, but we went in the trailer park Everybody got that first glimpse of the Rio Grande Uh, sometimes uh, to me it's not that big a river I think it used to be a really big river but with dams and irrigation it's a it's a river but it's not spectacularly big so we birded around there and then went to Salonino Salonino has its own great story Uh, it's a fabulous birding spot and uh, some winter residents uh, stay there in a mobile home uh, for pretty much the whole winter and have a feeding operation that's second to none. They have this mixture of uh, suet and peanut butter and cornmeal and who knows what else they put in it uh, that they go around. Instead of hanging up suet down there, which would just drip and melt in the sun, uh, they use this mixture and like a spatula and they just swab it on trees and stumps and in holes they drill in pieces of log that they hang and it makes great uh, suet feeder, and the birds just come in droves for that. Everything loves it. They have seed feeders, they have hummingbird feeders, they had a niger thistle feeder, and lots of lots of feeding stations. It's a big area, they have chairs you can sit in, it's just really cool. And so that first day we sat there and froze our tails off for maybe 45 minutes, but just had a spectacular show. A pair of Audubon's Orioles came in. Audubon's Orioles are a tough Bird to find. They tend to be skulkers. They stay in the brush, but at this place, they come right out to the feeding station. We got great looks at some pictures. Everybody's really happy with Audubon's Oriole there, and uh, we saw all the other normal, common Valley specials. He's got golden-fronted woodpecker, green jay, uh, nice looks at a greater roadrunner, uh, olive sparrow, lots of cardinals, lots of Altamira Orioles really lots of red-winged blackbirds, uh, and just a great variety of birds. Everybody was really excited for kind of the first spectacle of the valley for birding on that first day. Went out a little bit trying for the uh, morelet Seed Eater, which uh, Bruce and Ken and I had found on our day out there, uh, but it was cold and windy and tough birding, and just no luck with that bird at all. Uh, from there, we went over to Falcon Dam State Park and it was pretty slow there too cold windy not much happening uh, so we really didn't get a lot other than that spectacle of the feeder that first day uh, but it was a great bonus day we drove home uh, rested up uh, got to the airport that night to help it uh, help uh, jody and edie who came in the second day show up and it turned out there was a mix up in hotels there were two different hotels by the same brand name there la quinta they were not, they were three, four miles apart. So for the first day, we had two different hotels plus my Airbnb, but within a day or so, we got that straightened out and everybody got at the same hotel. So that worked out great. Uh, and the next day, the first planned day of the trip, uh, we uh, we headed to Estero Llano Grande. Uh, that's uh, a really cool place. Estero Llano Grande is a part of the World Birding Center. It's been uh, uh, repurposed from a cotton plantation that was not very successful uh, and dug out uh, and as now some beautiful wetlands and, and trail a trail system uh, along with a, a state park, uh mobile home park that has beautiful uh, trees. They call that the tropical zone. Birds show up. So it was really good. Everybody got looks at the waterfowl. Some of the shorebirds, it's a little extra water there than when I was there the two times before. So it wasn't quite as good for shorebirds, but got a really good look around at everything. Saw our first parake. Uh, parake are a night jar. Uh, they're a bird that, a good sized bird, Paraki has a really long tail, that during the day roost on the ground really sort of in plain sight, uh, but it's not plain at all when they perfectly blend into surroundings. So, you know, everybody's pointing, it's right there, four feet away. Where? I don't see it. Oh, see, it's a, it's, that's a tail. So everybody's seen the bird. We had good looks at that. Uh, saw alligators and lots of leased grebes, uh, a good variety of birds. So we had a really fun time there. And then headed off to Mercedes. Mercedes is an area not too far from there where the forktail flycatcher have been showing up. What well, turns out, that the last day the fork flycatcher was seen was the day before I got the group there. So I saw it. Ken and Bruce and I saw it. It was seen the day before we, got, we went for it. I decided not to bring uh, the, the partial group the day before because I thought, oh this can be a long wait, and didn't want to do that two days in a row. Uh, so I we went to Salonino the day before, and the next day it was gone nobody saw it after that so we missed the forktail flycatcher but we did see one of the spectacles of the lower Rio Grande Valley this year sugarcane is a fairly new crop uh, or new crop again I guess in the Rio Grande Valley I guess in the 1880s 19 yeah, 18 a century or so ago uh, sugarcane was a fairly uh, fairly big crop in the lower Rio Grande Valley uh, but for various reasons it, it ceased to be a a profitable crop and stopped being grown. Uh, But it was reintroduced in the 1980s and now is a stable crop of that area. They have uh, local processing plants. And one thing they do with the sugarcane crops, and I thought that they burned it to crystallize the sugar in the stalk so it wouldn't r- run out when they cut it but that's not the case I looked it up today and they burn the sugarcane fields to get most of the leaves off the canes uh, because that gums up the processors and makes it hard to process the sugarcane so they burn the fields uh, kind of a light burn it seems like they burn the just the leaves off the stalks then they cut the tops of the stalks off and then they harvest the sugarcane with machines they bring them to processing plant and get sugar and molasses out of it uh, but uh, when they burn the fields, as you can imagine, these are big fields that they burn. There's a lot of a uh, lot of animals in those fields, and there's been you know uh, cruelty to animals. People complain about that, and and air pollution. People complain about that, but that's still what they do. And one side benefit for birders of this is that a lot of Uh, rodents primarily, uh, are driven out of the fields or even killed in the fields when these fields are burned. Uh, And so you'll just see big flocks of vultures, black vultures and turkey vultures and crested caracaras circling over this along with a big number of hawks, red-tailed hawks of all sorts of coloration versions, uh, white-tailed hawks, Harris's hawks, and just lots of raptors. Uh, So we got a nice spectacle, stopped at a sugarcane burning field and got our great look at all the raptors around. Everybody loved that. And then tried for the fork tail for maybe an hour or two. It just wasn't, wasn't happening. So we uh, wrapped up the day there and uh, finished that day at the Red Crown Parrot Roost in West Lacco. I'm not sure how you say that, Westlaco or Westlaco, Somebody can tell me if they know. But anyway, went to the Red Crown Parrot Roost, which is quite a spectacle. Uh, there's this one just neighborhood with some trees. Uh, the parrots come to roost in at night, and we got there just right. We got there about 5:30, 5:45, and the parrots had just started to come in. And I had been there one time before to scout that area and about 300 birds came in. Well, this night maybe only 150 or 200, but still that is a squawking spectacle. Uh, mostly red-crowned parrots, although some yellow-headed parrots, uh, some red-lord parrots, and some, some other people there saw uh, lilac, uh, I think lilac-crowned parrots. But anyway, uh, nice variety of big parrots going crazy. So everybody got pictures and good looks at those and that was really fun. And we wrapped up day two. Day three, we went to one of my favorite places, the loria Grand Valley, the Dewis County Park. I talked about a bit about that with Ken and Bruce when we were there because we had Sprague's Pippet there. Well, that was one of the really fun parts of the trip for me. Uh, the way you find that that Pippet there, first of all, Sprague's Pippet is hard to find in the ABA area. Roos in, uh, uh, in dry uh, prairie uh, in the northern part of the U.S., in, us where they in the the roosting fields first when they're on the nest they're just about impossible to find so you see them two or three hundred feet up in the air doing their beautiful courtship song but i mean seeing a bird straight over your head 200 feet up is a little tough you know what it is from the song you can see it is really cool how it flutters and sings but still not that great a look Uh, so uh, i had seen it do that and i'd seen it one time flushed on kind of a lousy view when I went to the Lower Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival uh, on a trip out to the King Ranch where I found the Ferruginous Pygmy Owl. But uh, I hadn't really had great looks until Ken and Bruce and I found it in this field. So I knew where it was and I knew how to find it. So it was fun. I got all 11 of us lined up uh, in, a, in a line, kind of a, uh, like we're uh, policing the area and the military or something all lined up in a line and we slowly walk out into this grassy field which fortunately had been mowed since Ken and I and, and Bruce were there uh, so the grass a little shorter making it easier to see the birds who walk out and a bird flushes and I know that's it right away so I get everybody to stop I sneak up on the bird get the scope on it get everybody to come up quietly these birds were terrifically cooperative they you know maybe 60 80 feet away spotting scope watching them feed in the grass they are a really cool bird they're just a, a nice warm buffy color with a big black eye and a kind of blank looking face uh, acting like a pipit uh, but not strongly marked like our american Pippets. and just really it was just cool to find them that way we got great looks everybody we just kind of drank them in for half an hour or so it was really cool we also got the rock wren, which is unusual at Anseldewis Park and birded around that area, got to see some cool stuff. Uh, so that was really fun. And from Anseldewis, we went to the National Butterfly Center. The National Butterfly Center is really another super cool place in the valley. Uh, it is the National Butterfly Center. I have been told, and I'm not sure if this is true fact, that half of the species of butterflies that can be found in America, in the, United, in the lower 48 of the United States, can be found in the lower Rio Grande Valley. So there's a huge number and diversity of butterflies available there for people who really like to watch butterflies. And this butterfly garden is right on the Rio Grande River, just, just over the dike and is uh, beautifully done with plantings and feeding stations for butterflies. They put the syrupy uh, goop on uh, logs that the butterflies come in to feed from along with the plantings. So there are a lot of butterflies, but there's also a lot of birds and they have a bird feeding station there that's quite nice. Everybody got good looks at a lot of the same species again. Uh, But we also got an Eastern screech owl. That's a special bird to me, primarily because Mary Gustafson showed it to me. Uh, I interviewed Mary, we talked with Mary for the last episode, episode 48 of the Bird Banner podcast. And uh, we sat at the National Butterfly Center and did our discussion. And afterward, she showed me the way the screech owl roosts. is, right in the right in the rafters of the picnic table area. It's got a picnic table covered with a kind of a woven uh, reed roof. And up in the rafters of that, hidden in the reeds, is a McCall's uh, subspecies of eastern screech owl. It was right there. We we found it, and everybody got good looks at that while we had lunch. So that was pretty cool. And from there. We went uh, to, uh, excuse me, from there we went to Benson Rio Grande State Park. Benson Rio is a really cool park. It used to be fabulous. You could drive around, it was much more accessible, but now with the border security issues, the wall goes through it, it's kind of much harder to bird. And uh, you have to walk around or take a tram. Well, the tram is fine, but it's a defined route and you're on a tram and it's a little hard to bird from that. Uh, but, but, a, red breast, a red-throated Bacard had been seen there the day before, uh, and so I we went out. I'm just hoping we can find this bird. that good descriptions between feeding station three and feeding station four, which is probably less than a mile from the entrance. I thought I could walk that far. So we got down there and birded our way in, saw a few of the usual things, and then kind of did a stakeout for this Bacard. Uh, I... I... Said a few, we scattered people around to look, and weren't having much luck. And maybe twenty or thirty minutes go by, and it's getting hot, and it's it's just dry country, not a lot of birds, kind of boring really. Uh, and uh, the tram came by, and about six or seven of our group hop on the tram. They're going to go down and see the the. Uh, the rest of the park on the tram Uh, so four or five of us stick back and and we're looking around i I said well i stuck uh i stuck marion and steve lynch down at one end uh, by feeding station four and i stuck up by feeding station three and mary was wandering in between we thought well maybe we'll get it we'll see and uh, steve steve is a a really fun guy to bird with but he he likes to walk around, kind of standing still, looking for bird. Not his favorite thing to do, I don't think. Uh, so Steve decided he was going to walk down and see the river. So he gets up from the place I had him sitting and walks around the corner. And sure enough, bird flies right across the road in front of him. It's the Picard. So he he uh, gets on his telephone and calls Mary because he didn't have my number. He calls Mary, who runs up and gets me, and we run back down. Literally run. I'm running down the road, which helped one other bird to get on the on the on the Picard because he said, Old man running like that? Gotta be a good bird. So he chases me and we get there and sure enough, Steve had the Picard right right beside the road. Just a beautiful bird. This is a weird looking flycatcher. It's a a uh, large-ish flycatcher with a head that's disproportionately big, and it's just chestnut. The female is just chestnut brown all over with a blackish cap on the head. Just a beautiful bird in perfect light, really close. You got great looks at it. A little hard to get pictures because part of the time obscured by some branches, but still got some pictures. And then, of course, it flew off into the into the woods after a little bit. But it's still cool. And of course, only four or five of us got it. Maybe 10, 15 minutes later, the tram comes back by and we tell everybody we got the bird. Come on, get off. We're going to try to find it again. So, we, because I didn't think we'd get it, but sure enough, I wander around. It was right in a fork in the road. I wander around the other side of the fork in the road. Sure enough, I get on the bird again. I get everybody over. We get terrific looks. Almost, I think Richard stayed at the, at the, uh, entrance station because he was wasn't up for the big walk but pretty much everybody else got on the bird it was just terrific and this is a really really hard to find ABA bird it's a, seen only in the Lower Grand Valley, really, and only occasionally there. So that was terrific. It is it is seen in Arizona, but it's getting so that it's really hard to find there uh, these days, because I think it, the places that nests there now are not publicly accessible. But anyway, great bird for everyone. Just ecstatic about that. And we leave there and try for a couple of just kind of little fun different birds to see. We headed off to uh, a place called uh, what's the name of that town, uh, a place called Gren- Her- Grenhino, I think Granhino has a little pub, and there was Tex music dancing and, and western dancing going on there, but walked up on the dike behind that looking for a burrowing owl, no luck, we didn't get that, we looked around for a while, and then we went over to Hidalgo, to the Mont Parakeet Roost site, and took a while, actually, they, they were the People in the neighborhood kind of saw 11 people wandering around, checked us out, told us, oh, they'll be back in but about six. Well, it was only about five, but by 5.15 or 5.30, we found a few birds, and they were. Uh, we also found many more nests. When Ken and Bruce and I were there, we found two nests, and we thought that was pretty cool, but there are nests all over the place. And there must be a lot of birds there because pretty much every utility pole and a lot of the trees had these big communal nests in them. Uh, So I suspect there's a pretty good population of monk parakeets there. We saw several of them, got great looks, and decided to call it a day and went to dinner. On day four was the big driving day of the trip. We decided to go uh, to the Brownsville dump. Ken and Bruce and I talked about the dump, or landfill, as it's called now, but everybody calls it the dump, and went to the dump and saw the spectacle. Thousands of gulls, lots of vultures, lots of blackbirds, just a spectacle of birds, uh, and I, I was hoping to get everybody onto a lesser black gull, and it was not easy. After about a half an hour of looking, I finally got a black gull on the scope, and a bulldozer drove right in front of it before I could get anybody else on it. We never relocated it, uh, and I was not uh, not comfortable with the immature bird. Though two or three immature gulls I thought might have been lesser black but boy, I, I didn't feel good uh Uh, calling that out to everybody. So uh, we did get good looks at a lot of birds there and saw the spectacle. From there, we went uh, to the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley branch in Brownsville where a a common black hawk had been showing up. And we walked around there for a little bit, did not find the common black hawk. But, you know, when you bird around the the valley, it's always great. We had roseate spoonbill fly by. We had white ibis there. Uh, We had just a lot lot of nice birds to see. And there, from there, we drove... Uh, down Highway 100 to the Aplomato Falcon viewing area. There's a, a pullout off Highway 100, uh, close to South Padre Island, where you can get off the road and look out over the uh, area where the Aplomato Falcon uh, nest and roost. And sure enough, we had a pair right on the platform out in the out in the field there. So people got to look at that. It's kind of distant, but good looks in the scope. Everybody felt good about it. After that, we headed to South Padre Island. And for a lot of people on the trip, I think this might have been their favorite part of the trip. Not really rare birds, nice birds, but birds in your face. There's a nice boardwalk system out behind uh, the uh, South Padre Island uh, Nature and Birding Center. And uh, you pay a small fee, get in there, and go out on the boardwalk where you get to see big padre, great big alligator there, and lots of other alligators. Uh, But you also see birds. And you're going out into a mangrove, mangrove area that's tidal. And this time when I was there, unlike a few days before when I had scouted this area, the tide was fairly high. And so it pushed the birds right into us. And We got terrific looks at everything. There were waders, waders, and more waders. Roseate spoonbills are putting on a great show right in close. Reddish egrets, there were two reddish egrets very close to us, right up in our face. Uh, uh, Both night herons, uh, yellow-billed night heron and black-crowned night heron. There was great blue heron and little blue heron and and snowy egret and great egret and uh, green heron. Uh, all right right up close just terrific tricolored heron everybody right up close for beautiful looks and uh, we had uh, red sliders which are the most common turtle down in that area of course, alligators redheads black skimmers those are a really cool bird they have a this weird bill with a lower mandible much longer than the upper, uh, and so they open their mouth and skim along the water, that lower mandible in the water, and when it hits a fish, it just snaps closed, and they get a little fish in their mouth, so that was really fun. Well, after we'd all had our fill of long-legged waders up close and personal on a nice, warm, sunny day, I went over to the coast, over to the open open gulf area, and had a little look around. Not much there. We got forced forster's turns we had had uh, uh we had had royal turns on the other side along with the caspian turns but added added the uh a sanderling i think we saw over there uh saw good numbers of forster turns and kind of finished up the day with dinner and a drive home so we got home late. waited for the sun to set so we weren't traveling west into the setting sun and got home late. so that was a really really nice day everybody's pretty beat uh but the next day we were up we didn't have to get up quite so early i think we headed out around 7:15 or so and we went north into the arid dry farm country uh, we stopped by the edinburgh airport when we saw a hawk in the a hawk in the in the field there it was a a young white-tailed hawk. They are a goofy-looking bird. They've got this big white blotch on their chest. They're dark pretty much all over except for a white tail. And they just look really unusual. When Ken and Bruce and I found out the first time, we f- we puzzled over it for a minute or two before we figured out what it was. Fortunately, this time I had seen it before, so I knew what it was. Got everybody on that. But we also got an adult white-tailed hawk soaring and perched. We had eastern meadowlarks singing. Everybody got to hear the different song than the westerns we hear out near home and uh, we headed up to Brushline Road. Brushline Road can be really good for sparrows, but this was another cold, windy day, and I mean really windy. It was just blowing a gale. So we just struggled the whole time, really. Didn't find very much all that interesting. Part of the most interesting thing that happened on that trip was uh, we would... Uh, We would sometimes uh, leave somebody behind in the car, or we'd leapfrog. We'd walk ahead and have somebody go back and get the car and come up. But Marion decided she would just follow us in the car, and we flushed some sparrows out of a field. Apparently, I didn't even see them, but one landed literally right outside the car. So she got great photos of a lark sparrow that the rest of us got obscured peaks at far away in a tree, uh, sitting right beside the car where she was following us. So everybody kind of chuckled about that. It's the way it works sometimes. Uh, The person who's not with the group, sees a bird that the the group doesn't see as well, or see at all. But that was fun. And from there, uh, we headed off to uh, the uh, Rio beef feedlots, uh, which were unfortunately closed on Sunday. But we did get looks at Brewer's Blackbird, which is a hard bird to find in Texas. Great looks at Longbill curlew, which flew right in near us and uh, just a variety of birds there. Headed off to Delta Lake for lunch, stopped at Delta Lake for a chilly lunch on a cold, windy day, but got kind of a spectacle. Uh, We didn't get the kingfishers. Kingfishers was sort of a nemesis for us on this trip. We did get them all by the end of the trip. There are three kingfishers down there. Our common belted kingfisher from up here, ringed kingfisher, which is a, a larger kingfisher than belted with a solid red uh, belly and breast, and green kingfisher, which is a little tiny green kingfisher with a bill that seems like it should have trouble holding its head up. It's so big. Got looks at them all, but not at, in many of the places I thought we'd find them. But we did get a peregrine falcon just strafing everything in sight. It was fun. Right, it f- flew right in front of us and harassed a roseate spoonbill in the air. It was just chasing a spoonbill all over. Uh, just right in front of us. And when it got tired of chasing the spoonbill, it chased an anhinga around right in front of us. So we got to see peregrine falcon just uh, feeling its oats and chasing some big birds around before it took off and got a variety of ducks and things. And I was going to finish the day at the Edinburgh Scenic Wetlands. That's one of my favorite areas down there. And we pull up, and it's closed on Sunday Bad leader. Did not check that out. So I was pretty disappointed. Uh, but we headed on and used the old Hidalgo pump house as an alternate place. And we birded around there for the rest of the afternoon. We were a little on the weary side from a really long day the day before. And so we didn't make it a, a too big of a day there. Uh, day six, excuse I me, mean, day six, we headed to Santa Ana. Santa Ana is one of the really special places in the Lower Rio Grande Valley. It's a big, I think around 2,000 acres or so. And it's a big uh, uh, forested and wetland area that's great for a lot of different birds. And we headed for the uh, hawk hawk viewing tower. There's a tower out there where you can look for hookbill kites. Uh, And uh, I thought we were there pretty early. We got to the tower about 745, and it had eight people already on top of the tower. The tower will hold ten people. I knew we couldn't all go up at once, but I was hoping more than two of us could go up. But we got there and walk up to. to I took one of the one of the uh, participants up, and we get up on top of the tower and we look around for just a few minutes. And I find the kite. It's perched out, uh, maybe two or three hundred yards away, kind of far, but easy enough to see. And it's a female. It's perched. It's in plain sight. And I get it. Get it in the scope. I get a look. I get the person on it. Uh, and then I go trying not to jiggle too much quickly down the stairs and two more people up they get looks at it through the scope they're coming down two more people going up and the bird drops out of sight Uh, so four of us got looks at the kite and it dropped out of sight so uh, after 10 or 15 minutes the rest of the people on the tower they'd all had their look, and they decided to go so i get everybody up on top of the tower who hasn't seen the kite and we look and we look and we look Uh, steve had had enough looking he decided he was going to go for a hike he went off and maybe 10 minutes after he left kite shows up about 75 yards from where it was before i see it again get everybody on it we get good looks uh, so everybody but wandering steve got good looks at the kite but uh, he got good looks at all the stuff that day so we had that We went back uh, birded around some of the wet areas there uh, got our three kingfishers but gee not great looks uh, and uh, that was a little disappointing it also didn't have uh, the show of waiters there that we had had uh, at that area in previous trips with a lot of ibis, a lot of uh, white-faced ibis and white ibis, we did get each of those on the trip, but not a whole lot. Uh, so uh, finished up there, went back for lunch at the feeders, and had a great show at the feeders. Everybody got good looks at clay-colored thrush, uh, and uh, and. Uh, yeah, I actually got really good looks at uh, hooded oriole, which is uh, the young, uh, the subadult hooded oriole uh, that had been there for Bruce and I to find. Uh, it was still around, and we got actually better looks at it. it was right down at the feeders. So got good looks at that, and had a really nice afternoon there. And from there, we went back to the Edinburgh Scenic Wetlands, which we had missed when it was closed the day before, and finished the day up there. What a wonderful place that is. It is so easy to bird and beautifully laid out. And we finally got some warblers that weren't orange-crowned and yellow-rumped warblers. We got yellow-throated warbler, one of my favorite warblers. They're just gorgeous with a yellow throat and crisp black markings on a white bird, white belly and breast. Uh, got a Wilson's warbler common here, but not that common down there. Got a black and white warbler, an Eastern species. Uh, so everybody felt good about that. We have more clay-colored thrushes, quite a few. Uh, and got just a nice look at a lot of birds we'd seen before, but great looks at them. Uh, So had a great day there, and then uh, wrapped up that, uh, and I think that night uh, we decided to have dinner, uh, I forget, one of the nights we went to the uh, green parakeet roost in McAllen and got great looks at the green parakeets along with kazillions of great tail grackles and other blackbirds. Uh, but got those uh, another time. So parrots we did well with got monk, green parakeet, and red crown parrot, along with a couple of unlistable other big parrots with the red crown. So that was really fun. The last day we decided to go back to Salonino, hoping for the seed eater, hoping above hope for something other really else really good, maybe red crown. A red bell pigeon or something like that but we tried chapino again for the pigeon no luck there didn't go into the trailer park headed to and it wasn't as cold as it was the day before it was still pretty darn cold uh, but uh, despite not being quite as cold it wasn't as birdy at the feeders it was good we got the birds but not big numbers and we didn't get a uh, roadrunner there we got that at falcon dam state park later in the afternoon uh, we birded Salonino and the great thing about Salinina this time is we did get the seed eater. The, probably the same male morlet seed eater that Ken and Bruce and I had found a week or a couple of weeks earlier, still around. And we got on that, and I think three of the group didn't get looks at it. One or two weren't right with us when we found it, and one just couldn't see it. Uh, but uh, most of us got good looks at that. It was a male, it was spotted right down low, and then popped up for a few seconds, and then. And then flew far away uh, but anyway uh, got great looks at it had a really good good luck with that uh, from there we went to falcon dam state park where it was just wind was picking up it was getting cold and it was pretty much birdless uh, we did stop at the feeding station and picked up two new species for the trip white crowned sparrow and lincoln sparrow surprisingly lincoln sparrow when bruce and ken and i were there we just had lincoln sparrow all over the place it seemed like everywhere we looked if it was a sparrow it was a lincoln sparrow Two or three weeks later, I was seeing hardly any Lincoln sparrow. I'm not sure if they moved out by then or just, you know, chance. But anyway, we did get a Lincoln sparrow there, got a white ground sparrow, uh, and got a nice look at a roadrunner. Uh, but otherwise, not much happening there. It was cold, and so we decided to... Uh, wrap up the day back in McAllen. So we drove through the cold, got back to McAllen, where it was supposed to be warmer, but wasn't much warmer, and went to Quinta Mazatlan. Quinta Mazatlan is a little in-town gem. It's right near the airport. It's a fairly small area, but a beautiful old estate uh, that's been made into a world birding center site and is really a nice place to bird. Uh, We had terrific luck uh, uh, with just walking around, seeing the bronze sculptures and just the area Got clay-colored thrush again, got a group photo. Couldn't, couldn't finish a trip without a group photo, so got the group photo and you can check that out on the ABC Birding site. Uh, I wrote up the trip report there, too. Uh, so abcbirding.com, you can see a written version of a lot of what I talked about here today. Uh, so uh, we wrapped up the trip and got everybody home and got a night's sleep and off to, uh, most people left on a 6 a.m. flight the next morning. So I had one more day to bird, really just took it easy, cruised around and uh, wrapped up the trip. But for me, there were it was a really special trip. I got nine days of birding with really good birding buddies i got some time to explore the area more on my own uh, and just revisit some places and see some places that maybe weren't uh, highlights enough to go with a group but i got to check them out Uh, but I led a birding trip, uh, a real birding trip, out of state to a different area that wasn't my home turf, and it went okay. You know, I am not the the world's best birder by a long shot, but the trip went pretty well. I learned a lot. Uh, I learned that I could do it. Uh, I learned that a lot of people maybe don't need the best guide to see the best birds, but they just like to be taken around and see some stuff. So we had a really good trip, uh, and and I felt really really good about it everybody seemed to have fun nobody got hurt nobody got lost <laughs> everybody got three meals a day uh, the the the, the uh, logistics went pretty well other than going to edinburgh scenic wetlands when it was closed i thought the trip was largely pretty well planned and i felt good about it for me highlights other than just time to be with friends seeing the Forktail flycatcher really cool uh, great life bird, and I felt really good about that. Seeing uh, the rose-throated Bacard with the group, really fun. Takes a, takes a group to find a bird sometimes. Steve found it. Almost all of us got on it. So that was really fun, and that is such a cool bird. Check out pictures of rose-throated Bacard. It is a really cool-looking bird. Uh, seeing the hookbill kite both times, I went to look for it getting good looks. That was pretty cool. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people have tried for that hookbill kite and not done well, but this has been a good year at Santa Ana. Most days it's being seen. Going to the dump. I mean, that is cool. Uh, it is just a birding spectacle with lots of birds. The South Padre Island uh, Nature and Birding Center is a really, really cool place to go. Uh, maybe not uh, spectacularly rare birds, but great looks right up close at Beautiful, fabulous birds. The Edinburgh Seed Wetlands, I hadn't been to that prior to this trip and it is one of my favorite places in the valley. Easy to bird, really good looks at really good birds. So that was cool. Yes, yeah, surviving a trip outside my home, home uh, turf as a trip leader, that was pretty cool. Definitely uh, expanded my comfort zone and I think I would do that again. I think I'd lead a trip like that. I'd at least give it a shot. Uh, and I have been really lucky by birds waiting for me. That fork flycatcher waited for me to get to Texas. And about a week before I was scheduled to come home, a Siberian accentor showed up in Cowlitz County, not uh, maybe a two-hour drive from where I live, and that's a really hard-to-find ABA bird. Uh, and I thought, oh, no chance, that bird's sticking around for a week. Every day I'd look, and every day it'd still be there. And I got home on a Thursday, at the 13th of February, and Valentine's is a 14th of Fe- Valentine's Day, the 14th of February. I'd been birding for 30 days in a row, and I got home, and the weather looks bad on the 15th and 16th. Looks like it's gonna rain and be miserable, but the 14th looked nice, and so Marion gave me a Valentine's present, and we drove down to get the center and got there. And sure enough, we got nice looks. At it. it took a couple of hours, but we it, it showed up and we got really good looks at Siberian center, which I'd only seen once before in British Columbia. It was a Washington state bird for me. Uh, and that's really cool. And got good looks at another cool bird. So uh, little birds have been waiting around for me to see them. That's, that's nice of them. Uh, usually if you don't go early, you don't get what you're looking for. Uh, so uh, I had good luck with that. And I'm back home, settled in, uh, going to be having some fun guests on the show in the next uh, few weeks. I'm hoping you stay tuned and, and wait for them. I'm not going to mention them because I don't have dates and names lined up yet, but I've got some people on the, on the, on the agenda. I'm thinking that's going to work out really well. So thanks for listening and good birding. Good day.